0: Welcome, film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast, brought to you by Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Join us on a journey behind the camera, and most importantly, beyond what we know about film and the craft of filmmaking. So sit tight, grab some popcorn and soda, and let's go ride on Cinema Pathway. Welcome to the episode of Cinema Pathway. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I am really, really excited about our guest today. Uh, Before I introduce him, I wanna mention two descriptions of him that came to mind when we first spoke. One of them is pretty common. I think a lot of people have heard about that and that's describing somebody as a Renaissance man, somebody with many talents, many areas of knowledge uh, that brings a lot. The second description is something that may not be so common. It's a term called servant leader and that's a leader who really focuses on the growth and well-being of other people, communities. They lead to enrich others, not to enrich themselves. As we're going to learn today, really uh, defines our guest. He's had an incredible journey in life from humble beginnings. He served in the United States Navy. He's been a police officer. He entered the film industry and then he built on that. And now he is creating ways to give back to the community, educating future generations of filmmakers. I am excited to welcome LaRue Sarvis Jr. LaRue. Welcome, and thank you so much for being here
1: today. Thank you, man. Thank you, Howard. I
0: appreciate that, bro. So, you know, you shared your story with me. I would probably still be listening. We'd probably still be on the phone. I'm happy to hear it again. I know our listeners will love to hear it, so... Take us through your journey. Talk about from your childhood to
1: where you are today, because it really is a uh, a journey and a story. Well, my mom and my dad, they were sh- sharecroppers out of uh, South Carolina. Um, they migrated here to uh, Florida, to Miami, particularly. Um, and my mom, she was uh, 16 years old and pregnant with me. They ended up in Overtown and I was born in Overtown. And then, you know, of course, Overtown is back then it was. You know, it was different. It was, it was kind of rough, you know, and, and, and that, that gave me a, a thick skin. Um, there was a lot of things that happened to me in my childhood. I escaped death one time at an early, early age. We talked about that, you know. And then, you know, of course, you had the drug dealers, the pimps, the prostitutes and everything else going on around me. So I made a decision back when I was growing up that either I would be a bully or a thug or I can do some good. All right. And my uncle was a police officer Sir. in South Carolina. All right. Um, shout out to Uncle Terry and um, said, "Wow, because he drove me in a squad car." I don't, I don't remember much, but I remember. Being driven around, you know, as a little baby, you know, um, and I said, yo, this is what I want to do. This is, is one of the things that I wanted to do. Fast forward, life happened. I got older, learned a lot. And then, you know, it came to the point of time where um I had to make a decision if I was gonna stay in overtown or I had to do something and get out of overtown. Um, one of my best friends in church. Actually told me, he said, Hey, you know, he was he was in the Navy. Robert told me, he said, If you don't leave, you're either gonna wind up in jail or dead. You know, I went home, told my mom, Hey, you gotta sign me in. You know, if you don't, I'm running away. You must've been only seventeen then when that happened. I was seventeen when that happened. And um signed me up, went in, did my oath, served in the great United States Navy, USS Nashville, L P D. thirteen, OS Three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I didn't get to OS-2. I made OS-3. Served in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, came back, St. Clant Fleet. Um, and then after that, I uh, got out of the military, uh, honorable discharge. And then I wound up getting into law enforcement, following the dream that I originally had when I was a boy seeing my uncle. The fact that I was six foot four helped a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot relate. Uh, you know, the fact that I was six foot four helped a lot. And, you know, I was full of it, man. And uh, we... um. I went in, did what I had to do, um, and then I got this urge to help to serve in the community. I didn't want to be a sergeant, didn't want to be a lieutenant, didn't want to move up the ranks. I just wanted to work in the streets. That's all I wanted to do because I'm, I'm from the streets, literally, right. all right? It's just that I'm smart enough to know what's right and what's wrong, and I have the gift of vision, and for some reason, I can read a person, I can tell what they're going to do, mm-hmm. and it saved my life so many times, just that little intuition, and it's working right now, so it's still... Good. From there, I became a community officer, and once I became a community officer, uh, that's when the servitude began—just helping the community, helping the kids, and um, you know, uh, working in the community. Dealing with issues. The city put me in a community, Windermere, City of Lauder Hill, uh for four years. And that was one of the highest crime areas in the city, one of the hot spots in Broward County. And we dropped crime in that community 95%. 95% we dropped the crime. The first night we was there, there was a burglary and a robbery. We solved both both cases and we was on the case for 24 hours. Then I didn't even go home. Not only did we solve the case but make the arrest, but we recovered all the stolen goods. And that was the first and the last time that we had that type of crime back there while I was there. You know, I mean, there was other little things like domestics and a little dope dealing or whatever, but we, we took care of that. And that's what I did. I did that by working with the community, working with the kids. Kids are the key. The kids are the key. I remember when when some of the uh, dope boys, they, they they came to me, they said, "Officer office. Look, man. And I'm looking at him like, don't you got a warrant? He said, no, 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 I'm bringing my, you know, brothers, their little brothers and little sisters to me. And I'm like dumbfounded. So I'm standing looking at my partner and they're like looking at, you know, I say, you know, hold on, let's find out what's going on. Right. They said, I don't want you to chase after them the way you chase after me. So I'm bringing them to you. That's how it all began.
0: And this was, this was back in the nineties. Uh, 2000. Two 2000? thousand,
1: okay. 2000s, yeah, two thousand. Okay,
0: so that was really when the whole concept of community policing, really, yeah. really, community policing, really started to take hold. The idea of like going where the people are, interacting with the youth before they become old enough to really start doing that's the key, the bad stuff. And that, and I think obviously we'll get to that later, but I'm sure that really impacted you what you're doing now.
1: It did. It, it definitely did. But as far as the filming goes, you know, we can talk forever about my police career. All right, <laughs> <laughs> but as far as the filming goes, I started filming because my mom was a serial photographer. All right. She had a point and shoot everywhere she went, captured everything. We pulling up, matter of fact, I might even do uh, some type of gallery showing of the life in Overtown from like the early 80s. My mom did all of that. And that's how I learned. My mom (laughs) was always shooting film, always shooting, you know. I would be first online to see that. And I I always had a a knack for taking things apart just to see how they work. Again, the reason why I started the nonprofit, which we're going to talk about, uh, was because there was no way that I could get anybody or there was anyone, there was no one in my community being in a low income, poor black area that can pull me aside and mentor me, show me and teach me. There just wasn't that in the hood. All right. But luckily enough, I had the intuition to find out about these things. Once I went to high school, you know, I didn't even know I was poor until I went to high school. You told me that story and and I
0: I think our audience would be really fascinated to hear to hear that story again.
1: Yeah, what happened was I went to Miami Jackson after Booker T junior high. Now it's a senior high, but I was there when it was the junior high. Went to Miami Jackson senior high. I, I set the bench. I sucked at basketball. <laughs> you, what not,
0: position do you play? I play uh, I, uh, I, right, I right bench. bench or left out.
1: I played the bench, but I was tall enough and I had something. But still, even being on the bench, what I learned playing basketball every day in Gibson Park, was was more than enough to get me on any team. Of course, you know, you always got somebody that's better than you. You just have to acknowledge that. Because our bench, our team was so deep with players, about six of us went to Kendall Eggers Academy, which is no longer there. We went to Kendall Eggers Academy to play ball. And I went to Kendall Eggers Academy and, if, and the moment, I stepped foot on the campus, I was like just blown away by the BMWs and the Ferraris. I'm like, what? No, you know, and I and I, I couldn't, one of the um, kids' homes, it was a gold-plated pl- plates, bro. I never, ate on gold plated anything. And um, so it, so it was just an amazing experience. You know, I got to actually see a computer, touch a computer, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, and it was an amazing experience. And I didn't even, like I said, I did not even know I was poor until I got to that school.
0: And it's a different time, you know, you think back, you know, like 70s, 80s, yeah. we didn't have, that's when I grew up, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have 300 channels on TV. Bro. You weren't exposed. It's, it wasn't uncommon to not be exposed to anything really beyond your your own neighborhood.
1: I had rabbit ears for those for for those listeners that understand. We had rabbit ears. All right. I was sneaking to my sister's room, you know, at one or two o'clock in the night, and and play around with the rabbit ears to get Star Trek. All right. That's got my other you know like whoa. You mean they got spaceships yep. in Star Trek and Lieutenant Uhura? All right. I actually have a sign. Think it's a eight by ten um, photo of Lieutenant Uhura. Tate's from Tate's Comics. I went to Comic-Con and got that for me, man. And you had said Star Trek was a big inspiration to you. It was a big inspiration, Star Trek, because I was like, I was just amazed. Again, that's that intuition of a young boy. I don't care what color you are. You just got that intuition to learn about it and to know about it, how they do this, how they shoot that, how do they make that that spaceship fly around, you know, whatever, you know, how did they do I, I was just, but nobody was there to, to show me. Me or teach me, yeah. right? I, I didn't know beaming people was the one yeah. to really like yeah. to me. To me, that was that was like magical. All right, but I knew it was film. I knew it was taped somewhere because obviously I was smart enough to know that we didn't have it. But it was, I was just yeah. amazed by it. again. My parents couldn't afford to bring somebody in to show me or teach me. Or, so, and, and, and that was always uh, banging in the back of my head. That's why now, you know, I'm 55 years old and I act like I'm 12 or 13 because I'm, I'm you know, like constantly out there with the kids. And that's why I relate to the kids, my kids so, so well in all children, because children can, can tell real and they, and they, and they, and they know uh, when someone's trying to pull the wool over their eyes. Oh, kids,
0: Kids uh yeah, they're 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 more astute and and they pick up more than than you give them credit for.
1: Everything and, and everybody wanted to know how I was able to lower crime in that community. The way I did it was through the kids. There was nothing that went on back there that I didn't know about. And because I was always told the minute they saw my squad car and I parked in front of the community center and walked inside, by the time I walked out, I knew exactly what was going on.
0: We could talk forever about this. When you talk about the kids, it's it's opportunity. Yeah. You know, what opportunities for them? And that's why, you know, I my first bachelor's degree was in criminal justice yeah. and before deciding to go back to film yeah. school. And we learned about that and how they addressed, you know, gangs in Los Angeles yeah. was a lot of the kids, what other choice did they have? Yeah. Until they understood, you know, opportunities for school, opportunities to learn technology, you know, which again, you're filling, you're filling that gap. You think it makes so much sense and it's so simple, yet there's so many people that just don't get it.
1: Think about it this way: What's the one of the main things you hear about kids in wartime? Who are the warriors? The children. All right, the kid warriors of Rwanda. Kids fighting in you. They got kids fighting in Ukraine. The kids are always the key because they're younger, they're faster, they're quicker. They think on their feet. You got to be able to ring it, rein them in. Trust me, you got to rein them in. You got to control them. But they can soak up all your information because just like Louis Armstrong say, know more than I ever know. All right. So and that's and you teach them and they take what you, they learn. And then then they can go out and because now they got opportunities. They got way more opportunities than I did when I was growing up.
0: This is a, a film podcast about filmmaking. So I do have to bring it back. You're coming to America. One of my favorites. And the scene when uh, Sexual Chocolate is singing to Whitney, to Whitney Houston. <laughs> The Whitney Houston song, and then um, sexual chocolate, sexual chocolate, and then the daughter, um, and then Lisa comes up, and you know they parody it, but it, it's
1: she makes the point that the children are the future, and we can laugh, but it, it's the it, truth. It's the truth. I mean, it's it's really the truth, you know, because especially in the film industry, because think about it, right? Let's bring it way back. The film industry started in the caveman days. What is film? Film are still pictures. What's on the cave walls? Pictures. All right. Somebody got to tell those stories and that's how they told their stories. Let's fast forward a, b- a billion years to where we at today, all right? Film, it's cheap. Cell phones, all right? They got Academy Award winning films shot with iPhones and, you know, whatever. Hell, I, I want an iPhone. I don't even, I-, I love Android, but I'm thinking about getting an iPhone just to film. It's all about the story because there's always a story. It's how you tell the story. It's how the story looks. It's how you edit it, right, all right? It's how you get your people together, that's gonna dictate what type of story the audience see cause it's all about the audience. You're bringing your vision out so people that love what you're doing can come in and see what it is that you have in your brain. Now I can take your story, another person can take your story and there'll be two different interpretations of that story, but it's still the story. That's how as a civilization we prosper, we gain, we grow, good or bad. There's always a story.
0: Exactly. And you know, as filmmakers have have grown, you hear the story. You know, Spielberg's got a movie coming out about his youth. They would walk around with a, you know an eight millimeter camera. Then that involved into you know the the cam the video cameras we had that would either have a full VHS or a little tape in there. Now you know they can shoot edit, put on YouTube, on their phone within minutes.
1: One of my heroes is Rodriguez, all right? He started, well, I think he shot, what was the first movie he shot? El Machiati, El Mariachi. on With an eight millimeter camera, all right? Then I think about Dinkins. Then I think about all these, even, even Freddy. I learned a lot being on the set, getting- tow up by them bugs in the Everglades, all right? But his style, everybody have a style, right? And you follow these styles and this is how you learn. And talking about Spielberg, what did he recently do? That was just like, just blew me away, him and his wife. He was filming a music video with iPhone and his wife was pushing him in an in a office chair. This man got access to billions of dollars of cameras. And here he is in an office chair being pushed by his wife filming a music video with an iPhone 13. I said, man, look here. I said, I said, yo, that's technology and that's it. If he can do it, my kids can do it and I can do it. Exactly. Lots to talk about. We're going to keep the conversation going. We're going
0: to take a quick break. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast. Again, I am joined by LaRue Sarvis Jr. LaRue, let's educate our listeners on something. You're a videographer, you're a photographer, but you have a really unique specialty, which is doing behind the scenes. And behind the scenes to a lot, of, a lot of the audience, a lot of film watchers, they're so cool. You know, there's bonus features, featurettes, all this extra content, but doing behind the scenes it's a lot more. It's actually really an important piece of the filmmaking process. So, let's talk about why that's so important and what really what really goes on
1: behind the scenes behind the scenes. Alright, behind the scenes, BTS as it is commonly known. Um, Be honest with you, I started my journey with BTS when I was a police officer. Crime Scenes. That's really cool. Back when we first started in my city, was a different police department, and we had to do everything ourselves, from responding to the scene all the way to walking the affidavit or walking the paperwork up to the state attorney's office. We did it all. It was different, but when it came to crime scenes, I was taking my own photos, and I was looking around. I'm like, okay. So I was thinking, all right, where would if if it was foul play, where would they stand? Where would it go? Where they do this? Where they do that? And then I remember. <laughs> looking at reading a magazine and they were talking about, you know, lighting. So I started thinking about lighting, natural light. I love natural light, right? And I said, okay, well if I stand this way, it'll illuminate, you know, the injuries, the blood, the this, the that, whatever. And then, you know, I want them to see the wounds and all that stuff. So I would take these cinematic <laughs> photos and I remember one time the state attorney put me off to the side and said, Yo, who took these pictures? I said, I did. Oh, that they're, they're, they're great. All right. Okay. I can see a conviction. I said, okay, great, cool. I just had his neck for doing things behind the scenes because being behind the scenes literally tell the story. Now, when the director is on the set, he's got to get his script together. The actors got to follow the script. They got to do it. But there's a lot of things that go on with the crew the cast, the DP, the camera ops, the AD, everybody, and, that, and it's a story in that. Somebody gotta tell that story. I mean, they're, they're, that's a whole nother segment. Just getting that camera in a person's face because, I, you know, Freddie will tell you, I'll walk right up to you with the camera and, and other directors I work for, and I'll say, how do you feel about the day shoot? And they did, you know, a lot of times they're still in character or whatever, and they're looking at me and then you can see that emotion, you can see the eyes going back and forth. I was like, oh, I got it, I got them, you know? And then He'll start talking and, and then they'll get more relaxed. I ask them a couple more questions, and that's it. I'm done. I'm done with them. And I just move on to the next, you know, or we'll set it up. And then I keep the camera rolling. That's another secret. I tell my kids, my students, keep the camera rolling. When the director say cut, don't cut the camera. Keep it rolling, right? I tell them about this, the famous Heath Ledger scene where he was trying to destroy the hospital, but yes. detonator wouldn't work. And they kept, they, kept they, kept they kept it rolling. 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 And life happened. And it was a good, authentic, real moment. And that's the same thing with the BTS, making sure that you capture what the director's doing, because you know I'm quite sure he want to see like, oh, oh, I did say that, I did, okay, I made that adjustment and this happened or whatever. And you're telling the story, you're telling what's going on. I think it's an art. I really, really, really do.
0: So you know, talk about the directors and the crew. Do you, how involved do you get with actually knowing what's going on on a day shoot? Do they involve you with pre production? Is today let you? know, hey, on this day, we're going to be shooting this? Or do you just show up on set and you just kind of figure it out as you go and take it as what's given to you?
1: I do not like to read scripts. Okay. Don't Don't want to read scripts. Don't want to know what's anything. I want to show up with my camera and follow life, follow the set, follow what's going on impromptu. That's how you get it. Because if I know, then I'm going to tend to be there when it happens. All right. But there might be something happening over there. Or as I'm walking up to the scene it might be something happening you know now if it's if, if it's important and if it's and if it's something that needs detail i'll be there all right but my first job is to do what the director tell me to do if the director say i need this he's going to get that but i'm going to give him what i want to give him as well all right so instead of shooting 15 scenes he'll get 30 he'll get 40 he'll get 40 clips 50 clips and then he can pick out of the clips what he want and um i i think that just being there to capture what's going on in real time in real life is an art, is a gift because not only are you telling the story of the story, but you're telling the stories of the actors. Because a lot of these actors, they did a lot to get there. And some of these people are talented, man. They are really, really talented. I, I, I love filming the the person that put the camera together. Like I'm fascinated by Reds. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Never shot on one, but I'm fascinated by them. You know, I held one one time in the say, store.
0: I was, was going to say, I think I think we know a guy who knows a, a little something about Reds. <laughs> Yeah.
1: And I held my first one in, in the store down in Winwood, And I was like amazed at the camera. And it's just fascinating. Put the lens on, you know, you do this, you know, and, and you basically just rig it up. It's just amazing. It's just amazing to me. And I think that's a story within itself. There's always a story within the story.
0: And for me, it's really interesting. Like I looked look back on it almost like it could be a great retrospective to look at after a shoot. This is what went well. This is what didn't went well. You mentioned red. My first one of the first features I worked on, I was the AD and it was my first time being around a red and working with a digital image technician. It actually dawned on me that it's not a camera. It's a supercomputer that takes video and that it's amazing now how much work. But also to do a lens change takes three to four minutes to do a calibration takes six to seven minutes. So you add those up, that's almost two hours, you know, depending on how many setups you have, that's almost two hours out of a shooting day. And if you look back on that, it's like, okay, you know, how can we speed this up? How can we do? And as the AD, I'm tracking the time it takes to change lenses, the time it takes to calibrate. I'm adding all this up and I'm talking with the director afterwards, like, hey, this is where we're losing time on things. This is why, you know, we're not getting shots that's on there. And realize it's not because they're going slow that's just because the camera is such a finicky technical piece of equipment now it takes time to get the lens on right and then you know depending on you know some light change or depending what the actors are if you got to recalibrate do everything those things add time so again i like the idea of behind the scenes as a really a documentarian of how the shoot is going so it could look on that you know i wonder if it makes sense depending on that, to do, let's do multiple establishing shots. Uh, let's do multiple master shots for different scenes. Then we'll change lenses, do different MCUs. I, th- I think now really the ADs, you know, DPs, the um, the management of productions need to really be creative and think how they're going to be more efficient without using the standard approaches that have always been around.
1: Here's how I look at that. I look at that, number one, i never forget a quote from Quentin Tarantino where they had just got through doing a shot. It was perfect. He said, "We are gonna shoot it again. Why are we gonna shoot it again? Because we love the film. All right, bro. You got people that got everyday jobs. I was a cop for twenty five years, but guess what? I love to film. So it don't matter to me if I gotta take fifteen lenses and put it on the camera. If I gotta do this, I gotta. Do, I, I, I want to do it because I'm I'm fascinated and excited by it. Just give me the time to do it. All right, so I can give you my best work or whatever. You know, that's why I always like to anticipate." what I'm going to shoot behind the scenes before I even pick up that camera and push that record button sometimes I let that camera run for 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 30 minutes just to see what I can capture because I want to be ready with the camera in order to get what I think is an interesting shot that I can give to the director so he can tell this story about what's going on behind the scenes and maybe use in some type of video or promotional material, marketing material. He might want to show it to an investor or whatever. Hey, you know, we shot this and whatever, you know, yeah, you did that, that that was a cool. All right, cool. You know, so they get an idea of what's going on, something that you can put on YouTube, you know, for me to promote my nonprofit. You know, I mean, I've trained my kids, when I walk through that door, the first thing they do is put a mic on me and put a mic on whoever's going to be instructing that day. And the first thing I yell for, "Who's got the BTS? Where's the BTS? Where's my BTS?" Everybody pull out their phones, and I get that footage at the end of the class. All right, because it's behind the scenes. It's very, very, very important. Cannot stress the importance of getting behind the scenes because now, especially with what I'm doing with my with my teaching, I have a. It's a city pro. It's a city program. I let the city, the commissioners, everybody know what I'm doing. They see what I'm doing. The parents see what I'm doing. Pick up a student or two, you know, a child or two every week because of the footage. And it's interesting. You said that you're basically working for the director a lot of, a lot
0: of times. I'm surprised because I would think the behind the scenes really almost works for the producer as kind of getting the record or even maybe even on some, does it ever fall under the
1: first AD well, as part of there? Well, what I do is I know the director, the AD, the producer, and I go to all of them and say, what shots do you need? You got anything in mind? You got it?" Then I make a mental note or I'll write it down myself. And then I'll make sure I get that shot or as many of those shots as I can, then once I get those shots and I've satisfied that requirement, or I check that box off, then I go to the director. Mm-hmm. Now, Freddie will tell you, very rarely do I talk to that man because, like he said, sometimes you got to be an asshole, all right? You got to get out there, you got to make sure that, you know, everybody's in lockstep with your vision and let's get this thing shot because time is money. So I'm not going to walk, hey, okay, uh, yeah, I got this, you know, no, 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 I give you a, call it like endless pasta, let's uh, series of shorts and shots that you can take and you can choose which one you want. Oh, okay. I didn't know that was there. I didn't even see them or whatever, whatever. And because there was a shot that we did on, um, um, Donna retribution where the car was parked in front of these steps Right. And there was a um now I shot around that car the whole night. We was out there all night, right? But then I'm like, man, it's something something I kept looking at this step, but then I seen this lady come out of the door to look at what was going on. I say, that's it. So I walked up the steps, set up my camera, and I sat there for like an hour and just filmed the car that shot of the whole area i mean i put a wide enough lens on it where you can see the whole area i think i did 11 11 to 16 and you can see the whole area the car the actors everything going and i think that was a, i think that was an amazing series of shots
0: has there ever been a situation where for whatever reason the actual like a camera or b camera for the film didn't get the shot and then they look at your bts yeah. footage and yeah. they're like Oh, wow, you got this. We're going to use this in the film. Talk about that.
1: It was another film that I was working on, and they had finished principal production and everything like that, but something happened with one of the cameras, right? And I, I when I do my behind the scenes, I, I I have a C100 Mark II. I love that camera. 4K sensor down, to 1080p. You cannot beat. It's a nine-year-old camera, but I love it, <laughs> all right? So we were shooting and everything, and I would just happen to be, what happened was they was walking down the street. So there was a stop. So there was a there was a sign. And the sign said, Danger Zone, don't whatever. The main actress, she was playing as hottie. So as she's walking down, I thought it would be cool to show her walking down the street and then just just pan up to the sign that says dangerous. Yeah. So So the director saw that and just got rid of the whole we filmed that scene for like maybe three hours, right? He got rid of that whole scene and used that twenty seconds that I did to fill in for that particular shot. And it's yeah like Wow. Okay.
0: Cool. And it also makes you think. I mean, just kind of talking about local news. Um, you know, the whole story with Rust. Yo, know, and the act. Like, I don't know if there was a if there was a BTS person on there. I mean, if that if there was a BTS person capturing what happened, it probably it would have probably, answered it, a lot.
1: Look, it probably was they just held it because somebody's taking photos. All right, somebody's taking. Yeah. You got your scripty taking photos. Yeah, some, somebody's taking photos, and then and you best believe that after what happened, somebody pulled out their phone and was just shooting away. So there's a lot of footage floating around, all right? We just haven't seen it yet.
0: I mean, it's it's tragic, something that never should have happened regardless. But it's, it's, again, it just goes to, it's the historical record of the shoot. And that really jumps out to me. You know, you're a veteran. I'm also a veteran. My wife is a veteran. We're in a mixed marriage. I, I was- I'm a marine. She was army, but for her deployment in Iraq, she was actually a combat historian, and her job was to get the official history. They would interview and photograph when uh, units would come back from ops. They, that would be that goes into the museums and the center for military history. So it's it's uh, something that I definitely have a, a penchant before and really really enjoy hearing about it and it actually just in a in a short time that we've talked it's really changed my perspective you know as I move forward on as a filmmaker making sure that I have have a BTS there now it's not it's not just for it's fun but it's not it's not just for fun
1: but think about it this way I always think about screams screams of income screams of attention screams of views screams of whatever right you've already paid a lot of money to have everybody there on the set, right? Okay, and you got what you're doing. Your ads and all the profession. I mean, we all professionals, but task to do a task, action, cut, freeze, whatever. Your camera speed, boom, 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 whatever. All right, that's fine. The fact that somebody's behind taking everything that's happening as this process is taking place, you can take that. You can either teach with it. You can show investors that footage. You can put it on your youtube channel after the after the film or whatever during the film when you go to a film festival it'd be cool to show the behind the scenes before you they even show the feature or after they show the feature show the behind the scenes with the actors um intertwined in between it say hey you know yeah i remember that day man it was hot boom we got the footage man i remember that day the the car wouldn't the car got a flat tire show the flat tire you know what I'm saying? He talking about it, show it. And, and, and all the hell that broke loose when you're trying to change the flat tire. It's just that I think that behind the scenes plays a very, very important role. Because um, I've seen some great, man. I mean, behind the scenes, like some... I follow all these great directors. Uh, Villeneuve. Denny Villeneuve. Villeneuve. I can't pronounce his name. I I, I just look at the man's work. And the, and the behind the scenes on Dune. It, it, it was awesome. Yep.
0: And it's funny. You talk about revenue streams. I'm not a huge like Lord of the Rings fan. Oh. I mean, I mean, I enjoyed it when I watched it, but it's, but it's not like that. Oh. I just bought from Amazon had a sale. I just bought the like three DVD Lord of the Rings trilogy because it has almost forty hours of oh, behind BTS. the scenes That's right. behind the scenes of featurettes that actually um, one of my professors at MGC Josh Ellis actually said is basically almost like a film school in a box.
1: That's right. That's why it's important to hold uh, physical media. Like I have about right now. Oh God, I got about five thousand movies, all Blu Ray and I got another 2,000 in DVDs sitting in my storage. I always wait for the box set to come out because of the extra material and the behind the scenes. You know, like I got the behind the scenes on Band of Brothers. I love Band of Brothers. I got behind the scenes on Lords of the Ring. I got the Blu-ray edition, like you said. And another one of my another one of my sets that I got, John Wick. I got some stuff on, on that. I mean, I, I just got behind the scenes because it, it makes me a better, it should, oh, okay, I like that angle. I like this angle. I like that angle. We had a, on this other set I was working on, there was a chase car in Little Havana. We was, it was a $20,000 remote control car with a $40,000 camera on top of it. And I thought that was so amazing, man. So the dude, so so I said, I said, bro, look, let me stand in the middle of the street and you can circle me with the car. And then me just film it. You know what I'm saying? And I got that.
0: And really, B- BTS that more than anything is what's keeping DVDs alive. Exactly. I mean, the streamers don't show that I agree, stuff. I agree like with you, it. you, you know, like me. I I probably now that I think about it. I pretty much buy a DVD for the special features and
1: behind the scenes. Exactly. And now with Blu-rays, Blu-rays are cheap. You can get them for like a dollar. I got five dollar stores, Dollar Trees that I go to. Like at the beginning of every every month, and I pick out movies that because I'm a science fiction nerd geek. I, I geek out on that stuff. Now and I love science fiction like aliens. I got all the, I got the whole aliens trilogy. I got all the matrix and I look for movies that kind of take me out of my comfort zone because I tell my students, I tell my students, right? Take the film, turn the volume all the way down and look at it, all right? Don't listen to the boom, the bash, the the video, take the film and turn the volume all the way down and you'll see how it's shot and you can do the exact same thing.
0: I'm glad you brought up students. We talked about using BTS as an educational tool. We're going to talk about educating students and everything you're doing with that today. We're going to take another quick break, but before that, we would like to thank two of our partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech, who's been a mainstay of the film industry since 1968, providing equipment, support, and training. And Com comedy- TV, who offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment. This is Howard Brand. You're listening to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. We are back with LaRue Sarvis Jr. Let's talk servant leadership. You're now giving back to the community, particularly the next generation of filmmakers. I know how much that means to you. I know how excited you are. About it. I know it must have been torture for you for the first two segments to not dig into it. So now is the chance to really uh, let's hear about
1: it. It is awesome. If you go to the top of my Facebook page, LaRue Sarvis, you'll see uh, my profile picture. Me with about 10 kids. Not one of those children is over the age of 10, right? That was back in 2018. About six of those kids are still with me today in my current location iteration of the program in the city of Lauder Hill, Fund of Mouth Babes. My mission statement is to mentor and empower youth through the use of technology. Basically, what I do is I teach kids how to film. I teach kids how to content create. We podcast. We're about to start doing live streaming. We do shorts, videos. We learn everything about film, even though the program itself also delves in drone operations. We have a FAA part 107 certified drone operator that teaches the kids as well. Uh, We're doing robots. We're going to be doing robots here real soon. We're going to be DJing. I'm going to be teaching the kids how to DJ. I'm a house head. Then we're going to, but everything falls back to the filming because the kids that's learning a certain program, somebody got to film it. I need BTS and I teach the kids BTS. BTS, I'll come back to BTS, right? I, I teach them. Matter of fact, the reason why I'm the reason why I'm where I'm at today is because um one of my parents, shout out to Miss D, every time she walked in that class with her girls, she picked up, she took my phone, and for three years, all the footage that you see, most of it came from her. Then the kids started picking it up, and I set the kids' cameras, tell them about the vertical and the horizontal, you know, whatever. Me teaching the kids is oh my god, that brings me so much joy because. Nobody taught me when I was a, a baby growing up. Nobody taught, showed me these things when I was a when I was a tween. I found a need in the community to do it because you have so many kids getting in trouble. You have so many kids, you know, not knowing what to do. The only thing they could turn to was the lowest hanging fruit, which is crime, okay? The lowest hanging fruit, which is crime. No, let me show you how to climb that tree. Let's get to the top of it and get the best fruit. And the best fruit is knowledge, education, understanding, respect for yourself for life and for what it is that you're doing.
0: And a lot of what you're talking about, I mean, I, I've i been out of the public education system for for a long time. My uh, my 30-year high school reunion is coming up. It sounds like you're also filling a gap. Like we've had some previous guests on who've graduated high school probably within the last less than 10 years. Uh, a lot of them started in theater background. I think schools still have, have theater programs, have drama, teach that stuff, but they haven't really come around to teaching like this type of film making, film technology, editing, that thing. I think it still almost falls into you know the trade school realm, which unfortunately the United States hasn't caught up to the fact that trade school is not a dirty word. There are some students that it's good. I mean, ask an auto mechanic how much they make, ask an electrician how much they make. I mean, everything is so technical now. So I love the fact that, you know, you're filling a need for the community and giving, giving these kids opportunities.
1: You have to understand that I teach my kids to give back like someone taught me to give back. I think it's in the Bible. um, It says to... Whom much is given, much is required, but much is accepted. I might be saying the quote wrong, but basically, I was taught many hours on how to be a police officer. I went through the police academy, then I wound up being a police officer. All of these things that I wound up doing, it taught me you have to take care of the community. You have, to, you know, it, it taught me how to be a servant. I served in the military. I believe in giving back to the community. I believe and helping the community because somebody got to do it. Somebody got to get out there and show our youth that Somebody actually care about it'll make them feel good because you don't know what's going on in a child's mind in a child's head and what's yeah. that child is doing at home or what he's going through. Yeah. Coming to a program like mine might be a relief because number one, they're in a safe place for everybody, for everyone. I have kids on the spectrum in my class. I've had children come to me that would, that didn't utter a word in three minutes. Now they're leading in the morning. Uh, what do you call it in the junior high schools? Like when they, the, the morning announcements in elementary school, all because I taught them how to talk. Don't be afraid of the camera, it's not gonna bite you. Right. If there's anything in this room that you do not have to be afraid of, it's that camera, yep. okay? It's not gonna bite you. How to, I got a video of one of my young students back in 2018 for the first time. She heard, I had a shotgun mic and I had, I had the boom I put the, the, the earphones on and I hit the pause button, brought the mic on and she should, for a first, I mean, she would like, she should have saw the look and the joy on her face of actually hearing sound come through a mic and how it sounded. I had the same reaction the first time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I got, I actually captured that because Miss D was on the camera, you know, and she got the BTS. Just giving back to the community and giving back to the kids and I mean, and then not even that, but I was actually put on the advisory board of the local YMCA and Lauder Hill that um, actually led to me being a chair of the board of the old L.A. Lee YMCA before they built the new one after Dr. Cobb stepped down. And that's when I started the program, you know, because I wanted to do something for the kids in the community. And every Saturday, I had 10, 15 kids, 7, 8, you know, so I was said, like, man, they're too young. You know, why you, I don't deal with young kids. I said, well, because you don't have the patience, you don't have the know-how, and you're not thinking about the future because those kids that was with me when they was seven and eight they're with me now at 15 16 and one. we getting ready to go to college she's been with me for five years so back in 2018 if you look at that picture you'll see a lot of the kids that's in that photo are under the age of 10 and these kids have been with me for five six years and we're actually getting ready to send one of them off to college right now so that's one of the reasons why you get involved with the children and you teach them how to give back, all right? Because like I said, you know, a lot of people like, oh man, you know, you're you're, you're dealing with a bunch of nine and I can't, they, they just, I said, you, you're missing the big picture. Yes, they're kids, they're children. You got to control them, but you got to do it without putting your hands on them because I don't allow any of my staff to touch these kids, not to curse around them or do anything like that. Talk to them, understand them because I do have kids on the spectrum right. in my program, but they see what you do. They hear your story and they learn from you, all right? Because you're a teacher. You teach. And so now... They're 14, 15. They're still in the program bringing other children from programs into my program. And that's how you give back. That's how you pay it forward. And,
0: and I think it's also important to you and, and important for, for everyone to know that teaching of filmmakers isn't limited to just film professors, that you are a film educator. You are giving them as much of an education as probably some, some film school programs. And with that, you mentioned your workshops take place on Saturdays. Can you take us through what does a typical day look like?
1: Oh, wow. But before we bring up that point, I want to go back to what you said about film school. You don't need to go to film school. I never went to film school. I was a police officer, 25 years. I was in the military for six years. Okay. And I learned by looking at film. You look at film every day. You're a filmmaker. You know how to write it. You know how to understand it. You know how to shoot it. You know what you want to see. You know how to direct. You're a filmmaker. Some of the greatest film directors I'll ever see. Never went to film school. Now, going back to my typical day, it begins with picking up snacks. And now that we have um, our budget, we're going to I'm going to get healthier snacks for the kids because I can't eat salt or sugar. Got to have crafty. Exactly. And um, so we're going to be looking at that. Then I, I take everything to the to the center. Veterans Park City of Lutter Hill. Shout out to the great city of Lutter Hill. And our programs runs uh, Saturdays from 12 to 4 and every second Saturday from 1 to 5 because the AKAs take over the center. All right. So we come in at one o'clock. Uh, then the kids show up. I don't know who's going to show up. You know, I might get one, I might get 15. It doesn't matter to me. Is
0: 15 the limit? Is there a limit to the number of students? Because I'm sure at some point you get more than you can handle.
1: No, I all the kids I can handle. Uh, if I can handle being shot at, thrown out of a window, I can handle nine-year-olds or 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, you know. And then also have volunteers that come in to help me out as well. And the kids um, that's been with me for a while, they're looked up to the other kids. So whatever they say, the, the younger kids do. So we basically just sit down and we talk. I have a discussion with them. Like we have a discussion right now. We talk about films. I show some examples on the TV, and then we just talk about what we learned. We go over the exposure triangle. We go over light. I explain to them how to control, you know, who controls the light? You do. We go over how to set the camera up, manual focus. We go over, you know, the sticks. How to put the camera on the sticks. How to change the lens. How to turn the camera on, get the proper exposure. What to look for, you know, composition, audio, bokeh. We, we go over all of that. We talk about it. Then we start filming. I, I am so blessed and so lucky to have the Uh, Theater director Of Hollywood Hills uh, Missy Simone Prosper She comes in And she writes scripts I mean like last week No two weeks ago She wrote a 10 minute script The next week We filmed it The child That's on the spectrum. Good actor. I'm gonna use him again. (laughs) All right. But he's but he draws. He's part of our graphic art department that's doing all our thumbnails and everything else and doing our TikToks, uh, Instagram uh, videos. I'm lucky enough to have parents that participate in our instructors and educators themselves. So, you know, all the kids, they do something within the program and that goes on for four hours. Um, And after the four hours, the parents pick them up And then on Tuesdays, we do a zoom for right now, but we're getting ready to start getting into robotics. I'm a, no. We're going to be um, teaching the kids robotics and coding. After we get the computers, at which point we're going to teach them how to edit because we still got to pick up computers. Um, so any any listener out there that have any old camera gear, old computers, or whatever, go to fromthemouthofbabes dot org. Reach out to me. I'm very easy to get in contact with, and just send it in. We can use any gear that we can get our hands on. Trust me, we'll repurpose it and, and we'll use it. How do the
0: students react when they go from? Using your phone to real cameras, to real equipment. Are any of them like, why do I need this? I got a phone. Or are they just
1: like, wow. Yeah, they both, say, both. they do say that. But then I point out the importance of a phone over an iPhone or an Android phone or any cell phone. But I tell them that both of them are just as important. But one will give you this type of picture, this kind of uh, video. This kind of footage, and the other one would would do this. One's used for Instagram, one used for you know uh, TikTok. Except for influencers that have fifty thousand dollar red cameras and you know that that vlog. You know, okay, fine, they can afford it. Great, God bless them. Most of us, we have you know one hundred dollar free cell phones. Okay, they do videos. Matter of fact, one of my students, um, he shot three um films on his camera on his cell phone. I mean, it's really amazing, but you have to show them what they're thinking about is kind of misleading a little bit because a lot of them don't understand the manual setting on a, on a camera. They don't understand the exposure, the uh, frame rate, the shutter speed and ISO. They don't, they, they don't understand that stuff and you got to show it to them. What, what happened when you turn it this way? Cause what I do is I take the lens off the camera, I set it down, black everything out, mess up the settings, and I have each child walk up to that camera and be able to do a five second video of me sitting in the chair where they ask me my name.
0: I love the fact that you've you've taken the film school curriculum and have just like brought it down to the students level. You have compressed it like almost everything you've talked about are things I learned in film school. Things I did. I mean, I I shot a film in school where we used we used the GoPro. Pro for a chase scene. On that, I've worked on another film, uh, a feature that I worked on where we had probably a $20,000 red on a $20,000 Ronin gimbal, but our rig for a dolly shot was a $50 Home Depot cart. With the camera operator sitting on. So it's really um, giving them the creativities here. I mean, anytime you give kids an outlet to explore creativity, that's, I mean, when I grew up, you know, I was, I played sports. I mean, that was really the only youth, I mean, the youth activities where I grew up are like sports or, you know, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts and that. So I, I just, I love hearing these opportunities for kids.
1: Inspiration that I showed the kids was the Spielberg piece he did with his wife, all right, we did Jim the Chip Bag. Shout out to Anastasia for writing that story, um, doing one of the talks that Miss Prosper was giving. You know, we did Jim the Chip Bag. So what we did was we took the office and took one of the the office chairs, set set you know one of the kids down in the office chair, had the other child push that. Push, push her up to the, you know, so we can get a, a pan, zoom right in on the shot. They're going to edit that. Trying to do
0: the uh Lee, the, the Spike, spike Lee do- yeah, yeah, double exactly. dolly.
1: Exactly, double dolly, trying to yeah, get that, dolly. yeah. Of course, you know, we, we couldn't rack the focus, you know, to get it, you know, just right, but still.
0: It's amazing, like, talking about, like, rack focus, that's probably one of the biggest things where a manual film camera, it was easier to do it with film than it's become digital, unless you have, like, a real, like, a wireless focus puller and can really set it up but we've I remember when I was in school trying to do some rack focus shots on that and trying to work the manual on, on that and it was uh, yeah it was easier it was, it was almost a little easier easier with, with film
1: well because my my students are, are pretty young we don't rack focus we shout out to TD Bank for donating giving my program the uh, camera gear that we need for us to film
0: and can you explain you know some of our listeners we use a lot of terminology a lot of our listeners are filmmakers but for someone who doesn't know uh, can you explain what exactly
1: rack focus means? Okay, rack focus means you're in manual focus. You're manually focusing, okay? And with most film in the industry, as you know, very rarely are any of these films filmed with autofocus because autofocus is just not that, well, now, I mean, it's great, but back then, no, it, you just couldn't do it. So you would basically have a point that actor A is standing on. you focus on that point. But then where actor A is at, you have, you know, going to point B, but you also focus on point B and get that perfectly focused, all right? You block out the scene purposely um, focused. So then when you rack focus, either if you don't have the little barrel that you turn, the little white knob that you see on the side of it, what you do is you take a piece of gap tape, gap tape, <laughs> and you put the gap tape where the main point, where, where the first focus is. You measure it with tape, however you do it, however you want to do it, sharpie. sharpie, whatever. If you got you know, peeking on your camera, whatever. Okay, fine. You you measure it. But then you also from the same point, you focus where point B is at and you get the, the proper focus and you move the tape to that point. So when the actor or actress walk from point A to point B, you do a smooth turn of the barrel to that point. And when you stop, they stop. Everything's completely in focus. Rack focus.
0: And that, and it's also uh, something that's really fairly common. Movies you'll see when there's like an actor in the foreground or something in the background, and they move it. back Yo, without the camera moving, it'll be focused on on the actor in the front. Then maybe he'll come out of focus. It'll focus to what's in the back, and then back to the actor. Uh, there's um, I think Schindler's List has a, has a pretty famous scene where Spielberg did that.
1: I like calling that bokeh, but then I also I also like like to explain to the kids about Aperture. And with the Aperture you can kind of like almost set it to infinity where if you do I, I, I'm going to nerd out a little bit I'm sorry but if you want to focus on the actor blur out the background I tell my kids to do this exercise look at a water bottle or something and just wave your hand you see your hand waving but you can't really focus on it and tell if it's in focus but you see but what you're looking at is completely in focus what your hand waving and what's ever going on around you you don't even realize it that's bokeh alright so what you do is you open up you you get a fast lens, a fast lens is having an f-stop 1.2, 1.4, Now I've seen them at 0.95, and you just open that lens up, focus on the, on the subject, everything behind them will be out of focus. Now, to get someone from outside of that angle in focus, you would then open up the aperture to about 7.1, maybe 8, maybe 9, but then you also got to have light, the it. and then as that person is coming in, he's in focus way before he even gets to that person and you don't have to worry about rack focus and anything like that i mean there's a lot of ways you can do it but that's the way we do it you know and you also got but now man the autofocus on these cameras like the camera that td bank um donated to us um in an in-kind donation to rp is base level full frame mirrorless camera from canon lord that thing can lock on and it gives you some of the best the only problem i have with that camera is the hdmi i can't even hook a monitor up to it because it kicks it up to 30 frames a second and i could and i and i film everything at 24 frames a second including my bts
0: and it's uh it's interesting with the autofocus you know as i mentioned earlier lens changes and calibration you know when you have to calibrate that because you're going to have an actor moving around you want to make sure they stay in the autofocus and that the sensors that's really where those of us that have been ad's and the people that schedule shoots and actually plan out the shoot when someone watches a film they don't realize how much work was done before sometimes you know hours days even weeks of planning for seven seconds on film. It's uh, you know, it that's when I was in film school, that's the thing that really drew me was like being able to like you put all this work in and then you you see it on screen and you're like, man, it it worked exactly how we wanted.
1: And, and taking it back, that's exactly what I teach my kids. Okay. I teach my kids that, yes, we have to show them, but I only show them one time. I show them one time. I make sure they understand what they saw. They understand it, then I tell them to do it. Learn by doing. Exactly. Absolutely. That's how I learned how to be a police officer. OJ. You know, there was somebody that taught me, okay, what to do, and what not to do. And that's what I teach the kids, what to do, what not to do. This is how you do it because you have to teach them and show them, but trust me, they pick it up. Now I sit down $10,000 worth of camera gear when I walk in that class, open up the bag and they just go for it. I don't have to worry about it, you know, because they know to keep the scrap around their necks. Uh, Some of them claim the the cameras are too heavy. (laughs) And then a lot of times I have to hold a boom pole, but I hold it with one hand and I look at him and say, that's Uncle Scriff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, you're teaching some really technical, complex things to, you know, average Yes, and, right? yeah, and you're teaching the same things that, that film schools are teaching 20 year olds or, or older that's on it. How it must, it must blow your mind how quickly they grasp the technology.
1: OK, that's the conundrum. All right. That's the slippery slope. Some grasp it. Some don't. I work as fast as my slowest student. I have a lot of students on the spectrum. All right. They're actually opening up. They're doing better in class now all because of what we're doing with them, because they're surrounded by kids who they normally wouldn't be surrounded by. We have kids that help them. When one kid's have uh, Lawrence. Shout out to Lawrence. I love you. I know you're going to hear this whenever he want to cry. We just go talk to him. Five seconds later, he's back on the camera, okay? And we basically just teach the kids that it's okay. It's okay. I stop the class and we concentrate on that child. I bring everybody around that child to make sure that that child understand. That's why it take them two years to learn how to focus. I don't care. I'm not in no rush. Well, they're not paying no tuition to me. They're not in no film school. I can take two years to teach a child how to change a lens if they can't lift the lens. They'll get strong one day. I'm still
0: camera challenged. It's one of the reasons why DPs and cinematographers love work with me because I'm never going to tell them what they should do with the camera. I just tell them, hey, this is what I, I want to get. This is what I want it to look like and, and, let it, and let them run.
1: I tell, but one thing I also teach my, my kids in front of the camera, I said, you have to understand what they're using to shoot you, how you look. You just don't step in front of the camera and put your image and your career in the hands of somebody. No. Hey, what lens are you shooting with? Is that a prime? Is that a zoom? Is the, is the camera set to 24 frames a second? What's the shutter speed? Are you doing... You know, a degree, an angle. What are you doing? And this was back in 2019. We had a a, a film class. It was teenagers and my 12 year olds and my 11 year olds. They had a pretest. All my kids passed the pretest, and then none of the 12th graders did. This. And so then Dave took my kids, which I was really surprised they did this, and put 11 and 12 year olds in charge of whole team because they knew. And they was taught, well, you don't do it that way. Mr. Sarvis said you have to make sure that we have light and we. Don't have enough light. You see how dark that is? They, you know, and they were just going over and, and over and over, and that was like really, really amazing to me. So then, you no, know, they were looking at me like, "Man, what are you teaching these kids?" I'm teaching them how to film.
0: Well, and and what you said, you know, having the 11, 12 year olds teaching teaching the seniors, it goes back to the military. That's why the
1: NCOs are the ones right. that teach the new lieutenants what to do. That's right, because they'll go out there and get you shot and killed because they don't know how to lead. No, you learn how to lead by being somebody that beep that been in that meat grinder. That's how I learned. I was thrown in the middle of a war zone. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I knew I was going to die, but it was a, you know, my first class and the petty officer they got us through it. I remember one time we were shot at by a missile and I panicked. They threw me off of the screen because I panicked and, and I was pulled to the side and my first class looked at me and said, Sarvis, you are Dead. He said, "You are dead." Once you realize that, you can function. Don't you ever do that again? And I would never forget that.
0: We used to say in the Marine Corps, the two scariest things you could hear are a second lieutenant saying, "Based on my experience," or a private saying, "Dude, check this out." Do you ever have your students, the first, like all of a sudden behind you, you're not paying attention, hearing someone say, "Say, dude, check this out," and you wonder, "Oh no, what are they doing?"
1: A child is a child, man. A child. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, oh my God. Oh my God. child. That's why in our room that we have, we have a whole another part of it. And then I take a break, y'all go to the other room and release all that picked up energy. You know what I'm saying? And they go wash your hands so you can get no crumbs on the camera again. Come back and we gonna get back to filming. You know, oh my God. It's, it's the funniest thing, man. It's the funniest thing. And then, oh my God, they got me Saturday. They got me Saturday because- Oh, I can just imagine. You no, know, like I'm always saying, roll camera, camera speed. You know, roll audio, audio speed, right? So I'm standing in there with the boom pole waiting for Lawrence to come through the door and as he coming through the, and I'm just waiting and waiting, so um, Kyla she's directing and she's like roll audio roll audio roll and i'm standing so then finally i'm like why she said roll audio i said audio speed and they just died because i'm so you know like used to jumping on them about things and here it is Kyle jumped on me man but you know those are the moments that you have you know i mean that's just the way that it is man you, have, you gotta have fun with it
0: even working with an adult crew i've had situation y'all you know, made in and call, it's like roll sound Roll sound. Roll sound. That literally an actor went up and yelled into the boom mic, roll sound, you know, to just get the sound guy to get out of this transit.
1: he was in. Yeah, you know, yeah. But again, man, it's teaching the kids. I've always, for 25 years, I was dealing with children in some way, shape, or form. Over a six-year period, I took over 600 kids on college tours while I was a police officer Mm -hmm. on a college tour through the YMCA. Um, Shout out to Woods and the South Florida YMCA um, and that crowd crew over there love them people and no uh, we just did a lot for the community and i was able to do it i you know and i was afforded the, the, the chance and the opportunity to do it and the city of lauder Hill just gave me another chance and shout out to the great city of lauder Hill all the commissioners city matter everybody over there i really appreciate the fact that they understand that the community needs this type of programming because it's different though know, they're learning something because like i always said everybody can't be a football player or a basketball player or a soccer player you no know, you might and I want to be a doctor, even though that's good on oh, your bag would be a little bigger. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> somebody want to just shoot film. Somebody just want to make stories. Somebody just want to just get out there and let the world know, hey, this is me. I'm here. Here's my story. I love
0: it. I, I can hear the passion, could feel it seeing it you. Uh, this is amazing stuff. And we're going to take one more quick break and then we'll be back to conclude this episode. To our listeners, if you enjoy listening to our podcast, please support us by subscribing to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And then head over to our online store at paradoxicalfilms.com forward slash shop where you can purchase Cinema Pathway gear, including t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. We'll be right back. I'm Howard Brand, and we are talking today with LaRue Sarvis Jr., Renaissance man, servant leader, and educator, I need to add, because that's probably one of the the most important things that you're doing. You've mentioned a lot of things that you're involved with. Where can our listeners get involved, support you, find out more
1: about your programs? First thing you can do, um, go to www.fromthemouthofbabes.org. Look at the website there'll be a flyer pop up about the program. Hit the X. You'll see the TD Bank video that got over six million views, by the way. That one video about the in-kind donation and the uh, great work they're doing in the communities. And then you just follow the rest of the the video, um, the page, and then you can actually um, click on contact us. There's an information form. Send me your information. I'll get it. On my phone, I answer it right away. I also got a volunteer application that you fill out. Now, if you're thinking about being a volunteer, you have to go to the City of Lauderhill website, the City of Lauderhill's website, and you go down for parks, and recreations background records check. Okay. And then you got to follow the, because this is a, a city program under the parks department. Okay. So because I'm at the park with the program, and then it's, and you fill it out as if you're going to be a football coach, a basketball coach, but it's going to say other. That's where you put front of mouth for babes, fill out everything. All right. Follow the prompts. Hit next. It's going to then take you to another website where they do the background checks. All right. You got to fill everything else out again. At the end, you know you're at the right spot because you will have an $18 and 50 cent fee that you have to pay. Once you pay that, it goes back to the city. Don't come to me. It goes to the city. Hey, so-and-so applied. They're good. That's all I need to know. They keep all the paperwork. Give me a call. We'll set it up. Come in. Um, and that's it. Now, I would prefer if you have some knowledge of gear, tech, All right, Because we are a a STEM-based, technology-based program, and we're going to be getting into the robotics and the 3D printers and all that stuff and everything. We're going to be doing all of that with the kids. But right now, the focus is film content creation. But if you love kids, have kids, want to work with kids, you can clear that background, then, hey. We got a spot for you in the city of Lauder Hill at Front of Martha Babes.
0: And for our listeners that are not in this area, how can they support your organization?
1: Oh, uh, that's that's great. I'm glad you asked that. Um, basically you just go and donate. When you go to the web page, you got a big green donate button. Hit that donate button. If you give five dollars, that'll be enough to add to that sandwich combo that we're gonna get. Purchase, you know, like some gear that we need as far as uh because I actually be working on the slate. I gotta get another pair of sticks. So we got office supplies and everything everything else. is just things to keep the program running because I have to feed the kids. All right. And then on top of that, you no, know, I have insurances and everything. So anything that you give definitely help. And then you can also set it up where you can give $10 and give that way and or just simply just drop me a line. That's all you got to do. Drop a line and let me know that, hey, I think you're doing a good job because every once in a while, you no, know, you need to know you're doing the right thing. And all you need is someone to say, hey, good work, right. good job. Right. And
0: those donations are tax
1: deductible? Everything is tax deductible from the mouth of babes a active 501c3 and everything is tax deductible also any gear that you might have you know maybe your son went off to college or you know a computer that you don't think is working anymore, more send it to us you know send it straight to the city and uh, we'll get it uh, right there at Veterans Park where we're located Veterans Park 7600 Northwest 50th Street in the city of Lauder Hill we'll get it I'll tear it apart we'll build it back up you know I have parents that's in the computer industry uh, my parents are wonderful. They're very, very supportive of the program. That's where we're at. I'm quite sure our volunteers are the same way. You know? So we're doing what we got to do in order to make sure that these kids are exposed to something is in a safe place. Place to learn and to grow about this uh, technology. And
0: for our listeners or parents that are in the area, if they want to get their children involved, if their children want to attend these sessions, they do that on the website. Just register.
1: Yes, they register on the website. Now there is a fee for the program. All right, the program runs six weeks. Sometimes it go longer. Sometimes it goes shorter. More than any time, it goes, it's always longer because I, I my parents <laughs> forced me to take a break. Three hundred dollars for six weeks. Um, now saying that, saying that, I. Do do not turn any kids away, all right? I don't turn kids away the way I was turned away when I was a child. So I do not turn kids away, but I have to run the program. Right. And I think that's a very reasonable you know, price for everything that we give. Right. We give way more than what I'm asking for. But right now, I understand, times are hard. We're in a recession. They might not say we are, but we are. You still want the best for your child. And I think that what we're doing it's great for your child to learn about telling a story, technology, and just giving them another notch on their belt, another card that they can they can play. Because you never know what might pique their interest, give them that that energy or that drive to do something different. I'm telling you, it it, it will change their lives. I, I've seen it. I know it. Those that want to do it.
0: And going back to the donations, um, can people basically the three hundred dollars sponsor a student, you know, give a scholarship, you know, say I want this money to go towards a student, I want it to go towards giving a scholarship to someone who can't afford?
1: Yes. Any corporations or companies out there. And if you want to sponsor a child, I've worked with everybody from Starbucks to TD Bank, of course. There's just been a lot of support help that I've gotten for for the kids and that be a way for you to support a child. Maybe you might $300 the program and the child through. Trust me, I'll scratch it.
0: LaRue, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. We'll definitely be following you. We'll definitely be following how Mouth of Babes continues to move forward. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye out for the next Spielberg, the next uh, Scorsese or Tarantino or Ryan Coogler uh, coming, at, coming out of your program. We wish you the best of luck.
1: Luck. We are excited to see where this goes. Thank you, Howard. I really appreciate it coming from a military man to a military man. You know what we went through? I appreciate it. I also want to give a special shout out to the Aramark Corporation, <laughs> They gave us our first grant, the first grant that I wrote for, uh, provided for us, they gave to us, and I really, really appreciate them along with the other companies that I, that I mentioned.
0: To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema Pathway podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Mike Maloney. Our producer is Juliette San, along with associate producer Victor Ferreira and executive producer Freddie R. Rodriguez. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website at www. Paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at pathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you can send any comments, suggestions, or feedback for future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to join us for our next episode where we will continue to talk about the craft of filmmaking right here on the Cinema Pathway podcast. This is the Cinema Pathway podcast. We'll see you next time Lights out!